This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello, welcome to IntelliCast. This is season four, episode 42, our next to last episode of the season. That's right. Uh, intro take two. Intro take two. Um, you'll notice um, we have an interview today and uh, the audio wasn't perfect on it and the intro we recorded was even worse. So we're re-recording, yeah. yep. but it's probably better the second time anyway. We have an interview today with Colin Valdeseri. He's the co-founder and CEO of Informed Decisions Group. Um, he talks a lot about a shopper, virtual shopper aisle um, that he is partnered with Schlesinger on. This actually came out of a news story, right? About a month ago or so. Yeah, we mentioned it on the podcast of a news story. Uh, the other co-founder reached out to us on our call-in line and said, hey, we'd love to come on and talk about it. I said, great, come on on. Yeah, so I think that interview is really good. Um, Ohio-based company, a small company that he founded about, I don't know, 15 years ago or so. I can't yep. remember. Um, so I hope you enjoy the interview. If you have any feedback, guests, song choices for the new year, um, which we'll yeah. be picking the next month or so. Yeah, we're going to need a new one. Um, topics, um, segments, um, let us know. You can reach us at IntelliCast at EMI-RS.com. Follow us on Twitter, EMI underscore research or IntelliCast1. You can also leave us a voicemail or text us at 513-401-5463. And I guess we'll just go into the interview. This is this is Colin Valdeseri of Informed Decisions Group. Joining me now, who's the co-founder and CEO of Informed Decisions Group, Colin Valdeseri. Hello, Colin. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm really happy to have you on. I think um, I think this this came from um, one of our news episodes where we talked about maybe we should have Colin on, and it's and Colin and his team reached out and said, "Hey, we'll, we'll come on." So. I'm excited for this conversation. Thanks for joining. Pleasure. First of all, I'd love to talk about your background. You've been in research for quite a while, and um, I think we have some common friends at uh, one of your early research um, stomping grounds. Oh, uh, yeah, uh, very possible. Yeah, I've been doing it for uh, you know, probably 20 years now. Um, my background is actually in uh, uh, consumer psychology and multivariate statistics. Um, and uh, basically, um, kind of kind of uh switched over to kind of more of the shopper insights role as time has went on but uh um yeah i've worked on both the vendor side and client side for a number of different companies and, and uh yeah and you're a, i think you're a fellow ohioan living in the exact other part opposite part of the state though right yep from cleveland ohio yep yeah awesome and i know that you know, this is a sidebar, but you went to Cleveland State. A lot of research, it sounds a pretty long, strong research program at Cleveland State. I know that, um, I know a couple of people went to school there, but I think it's cranking out a lot of good researchers. 
Yeah, they had a, a program there, um, an actual master's in, it was called consumer industrial research, but essentially you would um, pick a, a one of two concentrations for either consumer psychology or industrial organiz- organizational psychology. Um, but uh, yeah, unfortunately, the, the program's director, the founder of it, he's retired since then, and the program has been eliminated. But uh, no, it was definitely uh, I, uh, one a decision I don't regret going there for sure. Yeah, good. Um, and then at some point in your career, you decided to, um, you founded Informed Decisions Group. What, what led you to that decision? That's kind of funny, actually, because it really isn't like I set out to start a company. Um, it was, uh, I was, uh, it was myself and someone else. Um, we worked, we were actually working together um, at uh, a company called Calphalon up in Toledo. They were owned by New Rubbermaid. And um, basically, I, I was a quantitative consumer scientist. He was a qualitative consumer scientist. And um, we didn't, like I said, we didn't set out to start this. We basically had people that would leave different companies of, within the new Rubbermaid and um, ended up calling us and asking if we'd help them out with research, whether they didn't have a research department there um, or, or whatever situation it was. So it's really something we started doing on like nights and weekends, just doing projects here and there for past colleagues and it kind of just snowballed and uh and uh didn't really at one point we we're like we should probably you know get a company name and actually you know, hire some people and make this yeah. official so how long did you have were you actually doing that before you had a big company name and made it official oh boy um probably probably about a year i would say <laughs> yeah that's hilarious because um yeah i can understand that because you know in research, you know this. It's all about building relationships, and you know I can see how that happens in this world. Like you have some loyal clients that want you to do their research, and after about a year, you're like, you know what? Let's make this official. That's yeah. awesome. That's a cool story. <laughs> um, so, um, what 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 does Informed Decision Group? What what do you do if you had to describe your company to someone? Like, what kind of research do you do? What do you do? Sure. Um, we 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 have a heavy focus on the shopper insights. Uh, category. So we do um, a lot with um, behavioral research. So um, uh, in-store research, uh, virtual research, um, a lot with uh, eye tracking um, and some biometrics as well. But um, basically, I say we do a lot that where um, like planogram, uh, testing and optimization, in-store, uh, displace, communications, things like that, package design. Um, just uh yeah really a, a lot with that and a lot with the kind of the visual part like with uh with eye tracking as i mentioned yeah um well, let's talk about the eye tracking stuff and your um and some other stuff you recently par- partnered with schlesinger group which is one of the hardest words for me to say yeah. uh, on on i guess like a life-size virtual shopping aisle is that how you describe it yeah, um, it's there's kind of an interesting background to it. Actually, it's um it uh, it's like a, a ten foot wide, six foot tall screen, and there's a big four K projector behind it, and it's also a touch screen. So you can use using a a pen, you can actually touch the screen and pick up products and take them off the shelf and whatnot. Um, it's basically there was a company down near you guys down near Cincinnati that actually was a display company that manufactured these. And, um, they, they actually manufactured them for, uh, one of the, one of the big CBG companies down there for their retail science center. And, um, then they, they ended up making a few extra and, and, um, to, they thought they could, you know, just rent them out. And we were one of the clients that rented them out from them. 
Um, so back in 2017, it just made more sense to acquire that company. It worked out better for us. So we uh, acquired that company back in 2000, 2017 and then made some more advancements to the virtual aisle tech as well. So um, essentially we, we own it. So whenever you see the virtual aisle, we do partner with other research companies and some down there with you guys in Cincinnati as well. So like whenever you see it, sometimes it's branded, you know, something different. We do, we do white label it, but it's, it's still our tech. <laughs> so it's more than one projector then there's, there's multiple. Yeah, we actually have three of them. So it can be set up in different scenarios. We can actually do three screens together. We can set them up in a cave environment where it's more of an immersive environment or just field uh, multiple locations to help speed up data collection. And uh, yeah. Oh, that's pretty cool. Uh, I, I think I've seen the one here in Cincinnati, this one of them. And it's really amazing technology that um, I think does a great job of kind of replicating the shopper experience. It's very realistic. I think the technology was kind of key to that. The technology kind of moved forward to where it really does resemble like you're in the store. Um, is that how you describe it to your clients? Is that it's, you know, it's, you can, you know, re- re- replicate what's in the store, but you can also, you have a lot of technological kind of things you can do with the shelf itself. Like you can move products around and stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. So basically it, it, that's, that's exactly what its purpose is, is, um, when it's not feasible, um, to get in store to do the research, this is, you know, one of the, you know, uh, great opportunities. Um, and basically clients always ask that, you know, like, well, it's, um, in terms of getting in store, or even doing mock shelves, you know, sometimes we'll ask, you know, why would we do this instead of mock shelves? And in reality, actually, if you can do mock shelves with actual physical product, that's still the best way to go. This, you know, um, but, uh, there's times where clients, uh, don't have the actual physical products for concepts or testing or just the logistics of shipping products around and setting up and tearing down mock shelves isn't really feasible. And, and it's just easier with this virtual aisle here. Yeah, I know that it's, it's also really hard to get in the store. Oh, yeah. And I've gone rogue a couple of times and I, I won't do that anymore at this point in my career. But my, earlier in my career, I went rogue and, you know, you do some shop alongs and you, or you do kind of a quick qualitative exercise that, I, this has just got to be so much better when you can actually replicate it and, and spend more time with someone in a, in a better environment. That's how I describe it. Yes, definitely. Um, for sure. So what else do you do outside of the, outside of this um, shelf? You mentioned a lot of things that I think is all around shopper insights. I'm assuming what else do you do? Yeah. Um, well, um, as I mentioned with the eye tracking, like that, that's been something we've been doing for, a long time, actually, even before Toby had glasses out there and, and stuff, um, it was a kind of a challenge. It, the technology was much more challenging back in the day. So we actually found a, um, a couple of doctoral students outside the U.S. who built their own tech. And and wow. uh, so we started using uh, having them, you know, build it for us, you know, glasses and things like that. And I mean, since then, the the tech has come much, much, much um, come along very, very well. So pretty much, you know, we use Toby like most people do now. Um, they're fantastic. But, uh, so yeah, a lot with, a lot with eye tracking, um, shopper observations in store retail ethnography. Uh, that's also a, a, a key component of what we do. Um, in intercepting consumers based off of certain behavioral hot buttons. So we'll have people in store, you know, observing what shoppers are doing and we'll kind of have like a list of predetermined hot buttons, whether it's interacting with the product, picking up a product, putting it back or whatever it is, you know, and then intercepting them and interviewing, interviewing them based on that. Um, and then also with us, one of the other things we do with the eye tracking is actually kind of like a macro 
coding, I guess you could call it, where we actually map an entire store to find out where the visual hotspots are within a store to help with like display placement and things like that. Um, and then other than that, um, I think one of the, with the virtual island, one of the, one of the cool things, one of the other things that we do is uh, conjoint research. Um, rather than doing traditional online conjoint, you know, choice-based exercises, we can actually build conjoint designs in the, in the back of the virtual aisle. So as people are shopping, they're just simply adding products to their basket and they don't know they're doing an actual survey. So it's just populating the design in the background and then go through and do the analysis and create the simulator. Oh, that's pretty cool. I like that. Um, a lot of the stuff that you describe what you do has probably changed a lot in the past couple of years. And that's probably an understatement. Um, yeah. How we shop, uh, where we shop, um, how long we spend in stores. It's probably just, it's, it's got to be upside down. It's going to be completely different. As a researcher and as a business owner, how have you kind of adjusted what you do um, to either measure that and advise clients? Or I bet you had to be really agile with adjusting how you do research. I bet it's been quite the challenge. No, it's definitely, yeah, for like, a, like for a lot of research companies, it's definitely been a challenge, especially within the first year. Um, given the, you know, the, our, our focus is really on in-person, in-store research, or even with the virtual out still in-person. So, you know, a lot of clients were restricted and not allowed to do that. Um, and even the little things that people don't think of is like when you wear eye tracking glasses, if you have a mask underneath of it, it fogs the glasses up like crazy. So it's like we had to come up with one of the guys that works here. Um, he actually came up with this cool trick using band-aids that, that fixed that. Um, wow. so it's just, it, it, so with things like that, there were a lot of little kind of nuances we didn't think of when we started, when we were fielding little things that, you know, that we didn't quite, uh, that kind of came out of the blue. Um, but no, the, the big, the big change is, was definitely that lack of in-person and store research. So we did actually, um, partner with a company, the company that we partner with a company who makes the, uh, interactive portion of the, the virtual aisle. Um, so they also make it, we're able to make it go online. So that's kind of a way we pivoted during that time was doing, uh, instead of doing the in-person life-size virtual aisle, we were doing the online virtual aisle. Um, it had some drawbacks in terms of like eye tracking really wasn't able to be done with it, but we, we replaced some of the, some of the metrics with some uh, proxies to eye tracking, like findability and things like that. So I kind of, I kind of helped us out getting, getting through it. Yes. It's something that I don't, at least we haven't talked a lot about, you know, we do almost exclusively online quant. And so the way that you had to react to like your core focus is shopper insights and, um, having that being deterred for quite a while, either because um, you know, society deemed it wasn't acceptable to do it or respondents weren't available because they didn't feel like it was safe or you're, you're probably overly concerned about making sure that your you know, in-person shopper research is safe. I bet there was a lot of factors that go into that. I think it's something, I haven't heard the stories of this and I, I think that you were probably as um, impacted as a business owner, researcher, as anyone, I think that qualitative really moved online really quick and pivoted true qualitative, but shopper insights is a challenge, I think. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of funny. We were, it was me and um, the other partner here. We were actually, um, right before things got locked down and stuff, I think it was in March, we were actually doing an in-store project out in uh, Sacramento. And we were um, we were in a Walmart and we had 
I didn't really keep up with the news, but we really had no idea what was going on. There's just people coming in and buying all the toilet paper. Uh-huh. We're watching this happen while we're doing, yeah. while we're, while we're doing shopper observations and, and interviews. And, um, yeah, and I was like, what is going on? And I really <laughs> didn't think of much about it. And we got back and it was like a few days later, all of a sudden, you know, things locked down and, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was crazy. What kind of, that's a great timing though that you're there for observational research and you actually observe Panikai. Yeah. By the way, we mentioned um, a news story because we're partners with Schlesinger and that was what kind of brought us to this. I'd love to maybe if you mentioned what your partnership with Schlesinger has been like. Oh yeah, great. Uh, it's been uh, fantastic. Obviously, obviously it's uh, rather new for us. We've been um, one of the, the, the team members there who used to work, used to work here actually had the idea of, um, them be offering the virtual aisle, um, given, given their massive resources, you know, and, and uh, uh, number of locations and everything, um, they might get uh, even more of an advantage out of it than we would. Um, so it's something we've, we worked on, I don't know, probably, I want to say two, three months or so in terms of just logistics and training and, you know, the you know, legal stuff. Um, but no, it's something it was, um, Really exciting, actually, just to to be able to have because um, we're a smaller company, so just to kind of have uh, you know, kind of a bigger company like that, like Slashinger, you know, and uh, uh, having them, you know, offering the virtual aisle. They've also um, had you know some requests from clients or questions about um, other ways to innovate it as well. So it's you know, it kind of helps us to actually you know make it better in in terms of the technologies and any of logistics of shipping it and things like that. So it's definitely been a, um, a very positive experience. I think helping us, helping us both out, helping, helping them out by selling the virtual island, helping us out by, you know, having, you know, uh, some of their resources with it. Yeah. Awesome. They're in the news every week. So give yeah, I know. Around, right? um, yes. Let's move on to the four P's. Um, four P's. We took the marketing mix, traditional four P's. We converted it to try to get to know our guests a little bit better on a more personal level. Um, first P is perform. Um, what is something that most people don't know about you? Do you have a hidden talent? I don't know how hidden. I guess I don't talk about that much. I, I'm a guitar player. I've played guitar since I was about six years old. Okay. So it's something, yeah, I, uh, um, uh, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm a, you know, rock star level, but, uh, been, you know, played, played with some bands. There have been a couple of famous people I've played with as well. So, um, so that's something different. That's awesome. I think it's cool. We, um, I don't know if you, at conferences now, especially like the uh, quirks, the quirks, yeah, the research band that gets together is one of the most fascinating things. We need to get you involved with that. Yeah, the, I Dave, Dave asked actually the other uh, partner here, Susan. She actually uh, uh, sang. She's she, she's, a, she's a singer, and she actually uh, sang with them at this last quirks in New York. Um, but I'm awesome. I'm uh, I'm like it's been a while since I've gotten up in front of people, so I'm just happy. In my basement, jamming out with the stereo. <laughs> well, I think it's I think it's cool because you know traditionally researchers have been the nerdiest bunch out of any industry in the world. The fact that we can get like people from different research companies up there and like play cover songs or whatever um, is amazing. And I've been to parts of Chicago and in, I think it's in Austin one another time. I think it's one of the most amazing things our industry has done. We haven't been recognized enough for that, but um, that's awesome. She had to sing. It's amazing. Yep. Um, next P, pandemic. Is there something fun or quirky 
that you started doing when the quarantine started. I have a long list that's been well back in the last podcast, but I'm a completely different person. I'm curious if there's something weird or quirky. <laughs> Um, I don't know. Fun and I mean, fun. Actually, uh, me and my wife started uh, like jamming more. Like she's also a singer, so we just go to the basement and you know, after after, after some drinks and just you know, play and sing and jam. Um, I'm not sure of anything else. I mean, the, uh, the one big thing was um, uh, for me. I think was uh, uh, things like Uber Eats and and uh, <laughs> uh, DoorDash. So it was probably the uh, I would call it fun at the time. I'm like, wow, I just get food delivered to the door. Um, but um, yeah, probably that was probably the first thing I, I started doing when quarantine started. Yep. Right there with you. Other than I, I spent my time um, doing much less entertainment things than going to basement. I totally that. Um, let's go to pastime. What's one, I think I know the answer to this one. What's one of your favorite things to do when you have, when you have free time? Um, yeah, as I mentioned, guitar, that would be, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't do it enough anymore. That's actually, I have, uh, have a couple of them in my office here and I, you, you know, years ago I used to just, you know, really turn around in my chair, put on guitar and just play throughout the day. It was a regular thing I would do. And now it's just, it's just, you know, no, no time for it. So, um, when I do have free time and nothing, you know, nothing to st- stress over, I'll pick up the guitar and, and, uh, get reminded of how out of practice I am. Well, that's awesome. It seems like a great passion, um, but it's really soothing and it balances out the stress of, of uh, being a researcher as well. Um, so how can people reach out to you if they have questions about informed decisions group or you personally? How can people reach you? Um, we have our, our website, obviously, www.idg-consulting.com. Um, we're on LinkedIn as well. Um, you can reach out to my email, um, which is... That's a long one. C Valdesari at idg-consulting.com. It's too, I won't even bother spelling it because it's too long. But um, yes, uh, uh, or also Susan Johnston, one of the other uh, owners here as well. Um, and hers is S Johnston at idg-consulting.com. Awesome. We'll be sure to put both of those in our show notes so people can okay. Yeah. So, so thank you for your time. It was great to hear about that. I was, so, uh, a part of research that I don't get to talk about very much, so I learn something every time. So appreciate your time and thanks a lot. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.